So people who are interested. Okay, so standing up on, on the podium once, I think is already a privilege. Standing up twice actually makes it really special. Um, okay, so therefore, um, let me just start uh, following up from where I, I left it at the sort of initial attempt, which was to say that, you know, today's podium, first podium actually, and, and, and panel uh, in regards to the conversation that took place, really kind of hinted up upon the prospects of the shipping industry and then also touched upon um, shipping finance. What I'd like to talk to you a little bit about today is really the alternative finance sources that one really ought to keep in mind, but mainly kind of leave you with a key takeaway, which is to say that when you devise your financing slash funding strategies, I think it is imperative that what you keep in mind is diversification is really key. So regardless where you are on the economic or shipping cycle, having a diversified pool of funding sources, managing those costs appropriately is going to be key and imperative. And I hope everyone kind of learned the lesson uh, throughout the time and the difficulties we experienced over the last eight to 10 years. So without sort of further ado, I'm gonna start a little bit with uh, some prospects on, on global uh, growth. Um, talk to you a, bit, a little bit about the story of, of tight, tightness in bank lending and then mainly kind of bring together everything with uh, a, a mini presentation on uh, investment funds and how these can be actually an alternative means of financing uh, in today's world. What I call the global economy roller coaster, I mean, by any stretch, anyone who's in economics right now, when you see a global GDP growth rate of 3.6%, uh, relative to what we've experienced throughout the crisis, uh, should relatively be very happy, um, albeit with a volatility, hence why I call it obviously a roller coaster. So therefore, when we look at numbers, looking at numbers on a static manner, clearly is not the way forward. What we should really be looking at is what the trend kind of holds in the future, but also the changing, evolving dynamics that we've experienced, least to say uh, on the back of some um, some geopolitics, uh, be it uh, the, the elections in the, in the US, be it the Brexit, be, be it the populism that we've seen you know, all around Europe, and, and so on and so forth, uh, but more so because it certainly has an impact uh, in regards to what people call synchronized growth. And synchronized growth is the phenomenon that we've been experiencing where GDP rates have been going up, employment has been going up, Inflation has not really been going up, and interest rates have been kept very low. And admittedly, we can see that in sort of key economies, sort of GDP growth, be it the US uh, and, and Europe, uh, have, have had very similar patterns to those of a global uh, growth rate. Um, China has been slowing a bit down, but again, we should not underestimate that we're talking about an absolute level that far outweighs what we've seen in the US and Europe. And likewise, in emerging markets, we have seen a considerable interest in terms of outperformance as well as inflows. Now, having said that, if we're facing ourselves you know, against a, an era of rising rates, we could in principle expect that we might see inflows in, let's say, US treasuries and outflows, for example, from emerging markets. So therefore, watch out for many swings as well as any outflows that may come. Now, I'm not going to obviously talk to you a lot about the shipping industry recovery because uh, we had two panels already the whole day will be all about that and, and I'm sure that everyone uh, is much more of an expert on that. But 
Certainly, we have seen the signs of recovery. Everyone over the last three or four years has been wondering whether we've kind of reached a plateau. And this is really the analysis that most of the financiers are trying to perform so that they're able to provide financing solutions, albeit also with a huge number of more variables that in the past may have also been part of that process of financing, but now are de facto a part with a much more extensive due diligence, uh, with looking at far more numbers than they used to uh, before, track records, and so on and so forth. So is bank lending still tight? Well, the answer from the Euro area bank loan supply survey clearly indicates that relative to where we were in 2008, today's number, and we can see that it is very close to zero, indicates still that bank financing is still quite tight. And there are very valid reasons why that is the case. I mean, clearly, having gone through the crisis, the global financial crisis, with the stretches on balance sheets, deleveraging us as being part of the main effort uh, going on here, the stretch on liquidity uh, that can be deployed, the Basel capital requirements, albeit obviously some changes that may come in the future, still have an impact in terms of the deployment of that level of capital. And that is on the back of what we experienced to be a prolonged quantitative easing, those so-called targeted long-term refinancing operations that the ECB, as well as the Fed on their own sort of accord, have facilitated uh, for, uh, for banks. Yet, we have seen that clearly shipping bank portfolios have come down considerably, and obviously the, the appetite has changed. But as has been mentioned before, we do see an activity that is being formed relative to the change in the shipping cycle. Now, as I, as I said, the key takeaway at the beginning should really be diversification of financing and funding sources. So what we are talking about here, if we look at that alternative financing source, be those of investment funds, so in this particular case, we're going to talk about setting up an investment fund that will be investing in, let's say, vessels and, and or loans, for example, in shipping. Just looking at the growth of that industry is itself impressive. And that is across asset classes, okay? But now standing at 69.3 trillion euros at a global AUM basis really kind of speaks for itself. And this is, if you, if you look at the growth rate um, amidst, amidst the crisis, it should also kind of lead to a number of very useful conclusions. And what those might be, now everyone talks about regulation, and we have regulation, unfortunately, being on the um, over-regulation side of the pendulum, as I call it, and it's regulation across the different sides of the board. But maybe we can use regulation to be on our side when we try to structure one of those um, vehicles such that we provide confidence and we give that investment protection that is required such that it facilitates the marriage between financing and investing. So, what would be the typical kind of fund structures that we see uh, in Europe but also around the globe? We would distinguish between two different, mainly two different types. It would be the undertakings in collective investments for transferable securities, known as USITs, and it will also be the alternative investment funds. Now, I'm not going to necessarily go through the entire slide, which explains the, you know, the, the types of legal forms that we can set this thing up, 
the investors that mainly this is geared to. I will pay some attention though at the investment strategies. In this particular case, if we're talking about shipping funds, then these are mainly under the alternative investment fund flag. They are geared towards the more well-informed and professional investors. And the benefit of that is that regardless of how much liquidity you have, regardless of the borrowing constraints or regardless of any diversification constraints, you can set up the structure to facilitate precisely the strategy that you want to cater for your investors as well as your needs. So how would that be uh, working out as an example uh, if we were to set up an EU, let's say, alternative investment fund structure that would be managed by an IFE manager? Okay, so the intrinsics of the structure um, in this particular case, I mean, starting from the left, we have the investor side um, that pledges those funds in the alternative investment fund that is managed by a registered or an authorized AIFM, the manager that is, uh, that itself then invests into, uh, in this particular case, the investment being the, the vessels, uh, and we'll, I'll show an example how, how that can be done, and or, for example, shipping loans. But the important thing to notice in this particular case is what I call the three musketeers. And the three musketeers over here are what you see over there being the custodian or depository, the fund administrator, and the auditor on the fund. Now, what, what are these guys doing there? Roughly speaking, the depository is responsible for the safekeeping of the assets, responsible for the monitoring of the cash, and responsible for the general oversight. The fund administrator has mainly a duty of uh, producing and calculating the net asset value, and the external auditor is there, obviously, to uh, prepare the financial statements. But their role is far more important. Their role is such that when you build one of those funds, then the regulatory framework that surrounds it and the existence of those musketeers safeguards and protects the best interest of the investors, which then facilitates and promotes that structure towards different types of investors, but also is there to ensure, for example, that the money is not being given into the hands of the manager and then he takes the money and runs, but also deploys them in a proper manner, in a regulated manner, and, and they're properly uh, placed where they should be placed and properly managed at the same time. But what we should emphasize here is that the popularity of these vehicles really emanates on the back of a number of benefits that the structure itself has to offer. Indeed, there's a plethora of those that I mentioned over there, but let me stand on, on a few. So the tax structuring uh, flexibility that the, the vehicle provides based on the types of the legal form as well as the jurisdiction where you set the fund up. A jurisdiction, for example, uh, such as the one of Cyprus, obviously offers um, zero tax on capital gains. It has a, a number of uh, huge incentives in relation to dividend distributions uh, and, and a number of other sort of tax-related benefits depending on whether you want to set it up as a tax transparent structure or maybe set it up as a corporate. At the same time, you can set it up as a regulated or unregulated fund. You can set it up uh, in, a, in such a way that you market it within the EU. You can have limited or unlimited number of investors. Uh, the um, diversification, as I said before, is, is very flexible depending on the strategy you wish to run. And in principle, you can set up a fund such that it becomes also eligible. And shipping is one of the only, actually, asset classes that right now you wanted to obtain the citizenship you can actually invest in alternative investment funds, meeting the criteria that is perceived to be an extension of the Cyprus soil, right, that investors were uh, carrying the Cyprus flag, 
and also cater for those types of investors. So you can cater for the professional investors, you can cater for funds that wish to invest in these particular products. You could also cater for some of the investors that are more, uh, that have lower sort of um, funds in their portfolios, but that they wanted to explore the shipping asset class, but they want to uh, explore it with sort of lower minimum amounts. So they could potentially invest 200,000 or 300,000, as opposed to perhaps engage in much larger tickets. That provides all that sort of type of flexibility. Now, a typical sort of private equity, as I call it, shipping fund structure, would be one that is usually set up in the form of a general partnership, limited partnership, where you have the limited partners being the investors, um, you have the general partner that usually is also the sponsor, so uh, everyone in this particular structure ensures that their best interests are protected because the person who set it up, the general partner, uh, he usually probably one of the shipping owners and or ship managers, uh, has a vested interest because they involve their equity either in kind or in cash. Then you have the fund vehicle, which is itself, for example, in this case, a limited liability partnership. That fund invests investors through different types of SPVs and is protected or guarded by those musketeers I mentioned before, as well as the AIFM and the shipping management company. So all in all, what we say over here is that the structural features of such an alternative means of financing can actually provide for something to think about, not just from the financing side of things, but also caters a lot for, for uh, many of the investors' needs. Now, in closing, given that I see that my, my slot is kind of uh, running up, I would really sum things up in the following sort of way. I mean, clearly, we have seen, as I said before, a path of synchronized growth in sort of global economies. Albeit right now, bank lending is still tight, although we've seen a lot more prudency and some openness, you know, from the part of, of banks and appetite to, to come back in the game. But the key takeaway is really the fact that having a pool of diversified funding sources, those probably, one of those being the entertainment of an investment fund can really cater and facilitate for those times that are needed to deploy that level of liquidity and have access to those opportunities that you see fit. And this vehicle can actually uh, help you do this. Thank you very much indeed. Enjoy the rest of the time. Thank you. Thank you.